All right, I'm here with Andy Bannister, and this is another ADC soundbite. So, Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, good to be uh, with you, Danny. My name is uh, Andy Bannister. I'm the Canadian director for uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. So, we're uh, an international apologetics and evangelism organization, um, really aiming to do two things to help the thinker believe and to help the believer think. And uh, so, we engage with skeptics and those hostile to the Christian faith, as well as helping equip Christians uh, to do that themselves. Do you have a particular title there? What's uh, your, is it Canadian director? Yeah, so they give me this, well, I'm technically Canadian director and, uh, and lead apologist, which is an awful kind of long mouthful. And I, one of my things I don't like about so much about that is that people see the word apologist and they immediately think it means apologizing. And you have to engage in this whole explanation about how my job is not really apologizing. But of course, you're told from my accent that I'm British and we Brits are used to apologizing uh, for most things. <laughs> right. Well, that leads me into my first question, because we have different ideas about what apologetics means in the church. Sometimes we don't even know what it means, like you just said. So how do you define apologetics? Because we have different people doing different types of apologetics out uh, in the church and in the world. So how would you define it? That's a great question. I mean, I think, there's a, I think we actually have a problem here. Uh, many people, when they hear the word apologetics, have a negative reaction, is what I've discovered, for a number of reasons. One is they've associated it with a particular type of, uh, of engaging um, the unbeliever. So perhaps they see it as a very kind of sort of rigid kind of philosophical approach, the kind of sort of approach that would stand up and do debates and use wonderful long words like uh, you know, epistemology and so on and so forth. Yeah. And it scares people off. And so they tend to think that apologetics belongs with academics and ivory towers. Or they think it means being argumentative. It means kind of debating with people and telling them why they're wrong. And even the whole word apologetics has a mystique around it. It's not a kind of word we tend to use uh, in everyday life. Although it's a word that comes from the, from the Bible, it comes from the Greek word apologia, uh, which means to give a reason, to give a defence. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15 is a good passage to go to. So that, I think those of us who are apologists find ourselves on the back foot slightly. So I tend to increasingly try and avoid the word. And so what I would define it as is really, um, I just go back to the way that we translate 1 Peter 3.15. It's about giving a reason. Peter says in that passage, um, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. So it's grounded in the Lordship of Christ. And out of that, always be prepared to give a reason to anyone who asks you uh, why you have the hope that you have. And so apologetics is simply that branch of Christian theology that is about giving reasons and a defense of why we believe. Sometimes it'll be defensive. Someone comes with an objection. We try and uh, explain to them why that objection is wrong. Uh, equally, it may be a case of uh, you know engaging with your next door neighbor who has no apparent interest in the Christian faith or in spiritual things. How do you try and find a way of starting a conversation? That's apologetics. And in fact, C.S. Lewis once uh, said something, I paraphrase him slightly, but he basically said, everyone has an apologetic. Everybody, every Christian does. Mm. The question is simply, is it a good one or is it a bad one? But all of us have a story. All of us have a, you know, have a walk with Christ. We'll have a reason for our faith. We'll have a reason. And some of those reasons will be reasons that are compel that will convince people and will be compelling. Others are reasons that I think maybe we need to think through our answers here a bit better. Hmm. So what do you think the biggest challenge is for apologetics for the defense of the faith in Canada? Oh, good question. I mean, I've only been here kind of three and a half years. As I say, you'll be able to tell by my, my accent that I come from Britain. So I'm very sort of cognizant that uh, I want to be careful as sort of you know coming across as the strange sounding foreigner who's there to tell everyone <laughs> what, what they're doing wrong but that said there are I think quite a lot of parallels I see between Canada and the UK so it's been quite a helpful background growing mm. up in Europe and seeing the struggles facing the church there many of them are the same here there are a few of them I would immediately pick one I think is fear 
there's a huge fear I sense in the Canadian church, and that expresses itself in a number of ways. It can be a fear of that we're losing cultural ground. I think, I think people look around at things like church attendance and the sense that, you know, the tide is going out on religious faith. We no longer have a kind of cultural impact that we once did, and there's a, there's a fear reaction there. We don't have the clout we used to have. Yeah, and sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think God necessarily called us to have political political clout. I think we've always often been at our best in church history when we are slightly on the back foot. But then the other fear I sense here is this uh, this fear of causing offence uh, that is all over our culture. We live in a very pluralistic uh, you know, culture where I mean, where I'm in Toronto, for example, you know, you can choose from 101 different worldviews. You can choose from Islamism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, atheism, secularism. I can even choose to be a Maple Leafs fan. We call that masochism. <laughs> and um, the problem is, faced with all of those ideologies, I think a lot of us as Christians get nervous. Oh gosh, how do I stand up and share my faith? Because if I do, it implies that my my Muslim friend is is sort of wrong, mm. or that I'm somehow coming across as superior to those I'm engaging with because I believe that I'm right and they're wrong, and so we sit there and do nothing. You see, we've there's a very slippery slope uh, you can you can proceed along. For it. It's one thing to say that all people are equal, which is a principle that Canada is based upon, and that's fantastic. It's another thing to say that all ideas are equal. Mm. All people are equal. All ideas are not, and we've got to separate those two in our minds, or we're in real trouble. Mm. So uh, with your background from the UK as well as coming here, because I agree, I think we're that's kind of almost a precursor where secularization and that's happened here and it's starting to happen in the States. So in those types of contexts, what are you seeing as kind of the best way that uh, people are engaging mm. in that type of culture? I think one of the most powerful ways that Christians can learn to engage, and the wonderful thing about what I'm about to describe, you can do it whether you're an academic like, uh, like yourself or if you've never really done any, any serious thinking about your faith, and it's learning to ask questions. I think too often Christians think evangelism works like this. You sort of learn your presentation or your answers or your apologetic and then you creep up on the unsuspecting non-Christian and then you download everything on top of them. You give your prepared speech and... Dump the bucket. You yeah. dump the bucket, exactly. And it doesn't work. But asking questions does work. Asking questions of people like, you know, what do you believe? Why do you, what do you think about X, Y or Z? So if you've got, take, take Muslims for example, if you have Muslim friends at work at university... Simply going up to your Muslim friend, neighbor or colleague, classmate and saying, look, I, I understand you're, you're a Muslim and I'm a Christian. We believe something quite different. I know nothing about what you believe. Would you, so would you tell me what you believe? And let them begin talking and ask intelligent questions. And pray as you do that, the opportunities open up for you to insert uh, the gospel. Uh, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, the sort of average sort of secular Canadian, I find that our newspapers, our, our media, movies are a wonderful way to ask questions because so many films, so many books, so many news stories naturally raise questions um, about what it, you know, what does it mean to be human? Uh, what's life all about? Is there purpose? Mm. Learn to look for those questions and ask people questions. And Jesus does this. Read the Gospels through sometime. Read the Gospel of Mark through and just notice how many times Jesus asks a question or responds to a question with a question. We've done an awful too much, lot too much talking in the church. I'm not half asking questions because when you ask questions, people's worldview cracks open, and there's often a way then I think to step in with the gospel. Learn to ask questions, listen, and then prayerfully respond. And you're engaging the person as a person rather than a target. You are one, one of the questions. yeah one of the most important things to learn in apologetics. If if you go any further and you begin you know sharing your faith and trying to respond to the questions people ask, is you know is learning to discern the question behind the the question. Okay. Um, the example I often give. Folks is, I mean, take something like the problem of evil, which is a one of the most common questions that our non-Christian friends ask. You know, how can there be a God who is all-powerful and all-loving if there is evil in the world? 
Well, if a person ask, is asking you that question because they've read that question in a book written by an atheist and have discovered it's a really clever question to ask a Christian to trip them up, that's one thing. If the person is asking you that question because their grandmother has just died of cancer and they're wrestling with grief, that's a very different take on the question. We have to discern the question behind the question. The, uh, the right answer to the wrong question is never helpful. Mm. Learning to listen is a, an important part of apologetics. So. Very much so. Mm. And that's why I say anyone can be an apologist. You don't need a, a degree or a PhD. If God calls you to those things, it can help. Simply being able to listen, talk with people, be natural, show an interest in people around you. And as I say, be prayerfully looking for the, the chinks, the gaps in the conversation where you can say, well, I wonder if, you know, if you've ever thought about and take it this way. One of the things that, I've, that struck me, I think, in the last three and a half years here in Canada, I was beginning to work this out in the UK, is that most people, most of my non-Christian friends, are not, are not yet asking the God question. They're not sitting there and saying, does God exist? We like to think they are, but they're not. But what they are asking are questions like, what's the purpose of life? Is there, <coughs> excuse me, is there more to life than just the nine to five? Um, what's it, what, what, you know, what, what am I here for? Those questions I think people are asking in various forms. Now, in answering those questions, I think you can only answer those questions profoundly by talking about God. And so what we need to do is be prepared to take a step back and start with the questions that people are asking, or if not, help them ask them. And as they begin sort of going, that's a really good thought. Now, what is life all about? Then you can begin helping them see that, look, if there is not a God behind everything, if the Christian story is not true, then the answer to what is life all about is nothing, quite frankly. Um, but I think too often we try and get to the end goal. We're trying to sort of introduce Christ and the Christ and the gospel, which is almost sometimes step 10 of the conversation before somebody's ready. So be willing to take the time to listen, to ask questions and invest time in the relationship. Befriend your next door neighbor. Don't just see them as apologetic cannon fodder. You know, <laughs> invest time and energy into relationships with your non-Christian friends, neighbors and colleagues. Great. So what are ways that Christians can equip themselves for this type of work? That's a great question, too. I mean, I think it's very, uh, for me, I find it fascinating that Jesus said, you know, love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind and your soul. I think we've often done quite well at the last two, the first and third one, at the heart and the soul. Mind, we've sometimes missed out mm. a little bit. And so I think we do need to begin equipping ourselves as Christians in order to be thinkers. The church sometimes has a reputation of being desperately shallow. Uh, you know, people ask us something, they come up with some pat little soundbite with no depth to it at all. 1 Peter 3.15, which I talked about earlier, says always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. So we need to be people who are engaged. We need to be people, first of all, who are engaging with scripture. Now, are we reading our Bibles? Do we really know our own story? Mm -hmm. I'm terrified how many evangelicals don't know scripture properly. We need to engage with scripture. Secondly, we need to understand culture. You know, are we reading the newspaper? Are we praying our way through it? Are we thinking and reflecting critically on what we see? And then thirdly, are we putting the time in? Are we putting all the time in? People often say, I don't have the time. But actually, do you know what? If we spend half the time that we spend, you know, watching TV, perhaps reading a, you know, a good Christian book once a week, mm -hmm. just to be able to get our brains going. So the next time we talk to someone, we have some material. Um, I think we'd be so much further ahead. So we need to put the time in and take these things seriously. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned about reading Christian books off the top of your head. Is there one, two, three books that you often recommend to those who are kind of interested in this you know a little nervous about it but want to start learning more yeah there are some great places to start and there were there are three books i think i i would mention uh to begin with one is a classic it's uh, c.s lewis's book mere christianity um still one of the best introductions i think to i mean he doesn't particularly use the word apologetics there but that's what he's talking about he's talking about how do we how do we share how do we share christ with those who have uh, no background at all and i think that's a wonderful book 
A slightly more up-to-date version of the same thing. I mean, Lewis is wonderful, he's classic, but sometimes people who are new to this stuff can find his language a little bit wooden because he was writing in the in the 60s, in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a guy called Tim Keller, K-E-L-L-E-R, yeah. based in uh, based in uh, New York, Manhattan. His Reason book, for Reason for God. Yeah. That is such a helpful book. It's yeah. popular, it's accessible, but there's a depth of thinking behind it. So I would introduce people to Tim Keller. And then thirdly, there's a wonderful little book uh, called Tactics, written by a gentleman called Greg Kokel. Uh, tactics? Tactics, yeah. Tactics. Okay. Tactics. K-O-U-K-L, Greg Kokel. Okay. And uh, that book simply teaches you how to ask, use questions to have evangelistic conversations. And you can read it, and most people can read it in the evening. It's a really easy book, and it's a fantastic beginning. So Lewis Sitmir, Christianity, Kokel, Tactics, and uh, Keller, um, Reason for God would be a okay. great place to start. I'll have to check out Kokel. I've read the other two. Excellent. So in Canada, in the church in Canada, what do you see as some future challenges that are coming down the pipeline? I think there are a number of challenges um, coming down the pipeline here in Canada that I foresee. One is, I think, we have sadly in the church in Canada, and this would apply to the church in the UK as well, so I'm not just picking on, 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 on Canadians. Mm -hmm. I think we, we haven't done as good a job as we might of training and equipping our young people. Somebody once said many of our youth groups have become nothing more than holding tanks with pizza. And what happens, sadly, there's a pattern whereby Christian young people grow up in the church, they uh, head off to university, and their faith very quickly collapses at university. Uh, usually for one of two reasons, usually moral failure because of the temptations that come, or because they encounter a secular atheist prof who decides he's going to use Christians as cannon fodder. And we simply haven't prepared our young people for the challenges and questions that the world faces. So I think we need to do a much better job in the church, church capital C, helping our young people think through how to engage culture, how to defend and give a reason for what they believe, but also how to be thoughtful Christians. So I think we need to equip our young people. We're not doing a good job, but we, we can put that right. That's an easy one to fix if we decide we want to. And then the other one I see here in Canada is unity. Um, one of the things that I think that I see in the UK that I'm not seeing here that, that, that disturbs me at times is that in the UK, the secularism is harder. We are a little bit further down the line, I think, than you are here in Canada, maybe five to ten years ahead. That's had some challenges, but it's also brought some surprising blessings. One of the one of the blessings I think it's brought is Christians work together really, really well in a, in the UK. There's some pretty good evangelical unity. Uh, Anglicans and Baptists and Methodists and everything else stand next to one another. There's much more of a sense of I don't care what denominational background you're from. We are so few as evangelicals. We need to stand together in order to be effective, and that's having bearing some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful fruit. Um, here in Canada, I still see quite a lot of tribalism. Churches, you know, I'll go and speak at a town and it will turn out that, uh, you know, a church on the other side of town is doing an apologetics event on the same weekend and the two churches didn't talk to each other. And what you've done is you split the Christian community right down the middle. Mm. Um, you know, I, w I went and spoke on at a, at a campus ministry and I won't say which campus this was, not to, uh, not to defame anybody. And I, it was interesting talking to a pastor who had planted a church on this university campus. And he said, when I arrived on this campus, he said, I tried to organize a prayer meeting for all of the different campus ministries to come together so we could pray for our university and find ways to work together. Uh, two ministries sent representatives. One campus ministry uh, said to me, he said, um, we've checked with our leadership and they said we can't engage in these kind of uh, you know, intergroup events because it might lead to competition. My friend looked me in the eye with tears in his eye and went, competition. Mm. How can praying together in unity be competition? competition yeah. I have come across one too many stories like that. We've got to stop playing at church. Mm. It doesn't matter whether we're Baptist, Anglican, whatever. We have got to stop playing at church if we're going to take the Great Commission seriously. Mm. Uh, otherwise, we are in real trouble. 
Very good. Now, for uh, students who are on this campus, uh, we have many that are, you know, not not necessarily on campus, but mm. we have a fair amount in our undergrad that are living on campus or in the undergrad and are probably more engaged than our graduates um, with students on campus here, but even our graduates mm. as well. Uh, I'm wondering what kind of things can they do or what can they think about as they engage with people of other faiths on, on a campus like this? Great question. I mean, what excited me, somebody told me that there's a, there's a, there's a Muslim society here on the Acadia mm -hmm. campus, um, you know, with uh, getting somewhere close up to 100 students coming. Mm -hmm. So my first thought looking at that is going, if you're, a, if you're an Acadia uh, Divinity College uh, you know, student, you want to engage with those guys, or if you're a Christian on the main campus, and you want to engage with Muslims, really easy. Find out when their meeting's happening, go along, sit at the back. Mm -hmm. Trust me, you do that for two or three weeks running, you will have the Muslims come to you and say, oh, um, what, are, what are, you, are you? Are you a Muslim? And you can say, no, with a smile, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Trust me, they will ask you, oh, why, why have you come? To which you simply reply, I know nothing about you guys. I wanted to find out what you do. We'd love to mm. you know, get, to, get to know a bit more about you. And uh, you just keep persistently showing up. You will build friendships, build relationships. Too often we expect our non-Christian friends to come to our events. Mm. We should go to their events. I mean, equally, if there's an atheist, free thought, secular society here on campus, I think Christians should attend. Just four or five of you go along, so you've got moral support, and just sit at the back, don't cause trouble, and um, relationships will be formed. And then, as I said earlier, I think just learn the art of asking questions. If you've got a Muslim classmate in one of your classes, I'm going to take the effort, go and sit next to them, uh, invite them out for coffee, and just ask them, show an interest in their faith. And if you do that, probably what will happen, they will eventually show an interest in your faith. Um, when they find out that you're a Christian, after you talk to them about their Muslim faith, for example, usually what happens, they'll say, well, what do you believe? And then you have an opportunity. So I think it's a, uh, the university is a wonderful place to reach out. And particularly Muslims, which is my area of specialty, they are the easiest people I have found to evangelize. We think they're hard. They're actually the easiest because they, you can get them talking about faith uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a second. It's really, really easy. Muslims are not shy when you ask them, telling you what they believe. What a fantastic opportunity to tell them what we believe. Mm, great. Well, thanks so much, Andy. So Andy's here for this week teaching a demon class on uh, is it engaging Muslims? That's right. We've been doing a demon class on uh, on really sort of understanding Islam and engaging Muslims. So we've covered everything from Muslim history to Muslim beliefs to uh, jihad and radicalism to Muslims in the modern world, and of course how we share our faith uh, with Muslims as Christians. So uh, we've we've packed it all in this week. Wow. And so for if you were to recommend one book on that type of area. For the, re for the listeners, what would that be? Yeah, I'm actually going to be cheeky, and so there are, there are, there are two books okay. I, I would recommend. Um, in terms of understanding um, Islam and getting, a, getting an introduction to it, um, the book, this is a book written by a Canadian scholar. He's not a Christian, so it's not a Christian book, but it's a brilliant uh, introduction. His name is Andrew Rippin. He teaches at the University of Victoria, and he's written a book called Muslims, Their Religious Faith, Beliefs, and Practices. Okay. You can find it on Amazon. It's a standard university introduction to Islam. Brilliant. It will give you everything you need to know. He's a kind of critical Western scholar, but, you know, friendly as well, being a Canadian. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of a Christian engagement with Islam, um, I have a friend in the UK who's written a book called uh, Just Simply Reaching Muslims. And his name is Nick Chatrath, C-H-A-T-R-A-T-H, Nick Chatrath, Reaching Muslims. And it's a brilliant, uh, brilliant kind of one-stop guide for Christians on how to befriend Muslims, a little bit about what they believe. If you were to read both of those books together, you'd have a wonderful understanding of Islam and uh, you'd come away with fantastic, I think you're a head full of ways that you could, you could do that. Wow, great. Well, thanks again, Andy. You are very welcome. Me and hopefully everyone who's listening enjoyed this, and I certainly did. Well, thank, thank you. you. Great, yeah. great talking to you. Thanks.